Hi, Online Church family. I'm so glad that you could meet with us here. We're about to go into a preach that I delivered recently, and I really hope this blesses you, it inspires you, it takes you further in your walk with God. That's my heart for you as you watch this. And if it really does bless you, why don't you go ahead and share it with someone who you think needs to hear it? Uh, make sure you click like and subscribe so you don't miss any of our messages here that we upload weekly. And um, jump in the chat so we can connect with you as well so you're not a stranger. So sit back and enjoy. I hope that you get blessed. Elephant in the room. Are you ready? Um, I brought tissues with me. Um, and so if you need to pull yours out, pull them out. If you don't have any, just get your sleeves ready. Um, I want to put a photo up on the screen. This is us, Sam and I, oh my goodness, already, and, um, and our four children, taken a few years ago. We just love this one. It's a cute photo. So we've got Maya in the hat. She's now 16 and a half, and she's almost got all her hours up for her license. What? Uh, Layla is just about to turn 14. What? Again. Uh, Judah just turned 11, and Jesse is eight and a half. Oh, February last year, for those of you who don't know, Sam was diagnosed with bowel cancer, and um, we, we stood in faith. We were filled with faith. Him dying was never an option. It was never, ever anything we even entertained as a thought. Not that we didn't want to entertain it, but we actually believed he would live. 100%, not a shadow of a doubt. Many of you would have spoken to me and I would have said to you, I have no doubt, I'm actually so confident that he's going to live. And uh, in April this year, on the 14th of April, on Passover, when the spirit of death is meant to pass over, he died. Why he picked that day, I don't know, but he just did things like that. I was there when he took his last breath and don't have words for that moment. It was actually, it didn't have a sting in it. You know when they say that, death, where is your sting? That one moment was actually so peaceful. You know how we say all the time, it's all good, because Sam used to say, oh, it's all good. I looked him in the eyes with his raspy breathing, and I said, hey, Sam, it's all good. And he tuned in and breathed twice more, and that was it. But I want to tell you that for the last 20 years, I have been a truth preacher. And I base my preaching on the solid Word of God. And do you know what the Word of God says? That God's a healer. Do you know what the Word of God says? That He makes a way where there's no way. Do you know what the Word of God says? It says that He makes every man a liar. And I have stood before you and said, don't accept the doctor's reports. Because God's sovereign and God has the final say. 
I've stood in front of you and I've said, God honors the righteous man and protects the family of the righteous man. I have preached this for 20 years. And in those 14 months, my theology was completely obliterated. Talk about an elephant in the room. Every single thing in my believing was challenged. There was not a single stone left unturned in my believing. It wasn't a test emotionally or physically. It was a test spiritually. Every single part of my believing was completely tested. What was I supposed to do with all the prophetic words we'd been given about Sam's future? about the things we were going to achieve together, the confirmations. You know the Bible says, test a word three times. I want to tell you, we had thousands of confirmed prophetic words. What was I supposed to do with that now? All the scripture we stood on, the prayers you prayed, what was I supposed to do with that? How was I supposed to reconcile that now? Where is this God of absolute truth? Anyone ever ask that, or is it just me? Thank you, Shay. Anyone else? Put your hand in the air if you've ever asked these questions. Yeah, maybe not in church. That's why we're talking about the elephant in the room. The strangest thing is that in the midst of my questions, there was one thing I couldn't deny... And that was the sense of his closeness through all of it. How could it be possible that in such heartache, I felt such peace? How could it be possible that in the sense of loss, I felt full? This tension, I realized that it's not just truth we stand on. Do you remember? Do you remember what truth is married to? Spirit. Spirit and truth. And so I've been on this journey of understanding the spirit in a whole new way. How it can be both. How it can be both. Do you know what? We'll never figure it out. And I think for 20 years I had it figured out until it was completely tested. And I realized there's a mystery and we have to allow him to be in the mystery. And when we meet him in the mystery, it is the most beautiful of all experiences. Heaven is close. Heaven is closer than you imagine. Heaven is right there. It's right there. And you know, what's in you comes out when you're under pressure. What's in you comes out. And you don't know what's in you until pressure is applied. You actually don't know. Pressure causes performance or puncture. One of the two. Now listen, both are good because they show you where you're at. So if you puncture, 
that's great. That's just a weak point you have to work on. But you actually don't know what's in you until pressure is applied. And so what's in you actually comes out. Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart, for out of it flow the issues of life. And when you're in difficult situations, situations that don't have answers to the questions, what's in you comes out. What's in you flows out. What's in your heart flows out. And I found out in this journey, and I wasn't sure until Sam passed away, I found out that Jesus is actually my first love. We used to say to each other, or I used to say to him, (laughs) I've got to go before you because I couldn't live without you. And I surprised myself. Because what's in you comes out. I want to ask you, is Jesus your first love? Actually, you may not never know unless you're in a situation like mine or you get to the pearly gates. But I found out that Jesus is my first love. And I'm really, really glad about that. Losing my best friend my rock, my companion, my, past, my partner and my pastor, I realized was not the end because I had someone to go to and I had a place to go. And I only pity the people who haven't built rooms and dug wells. Building rooms. Do you remember the Shunammite woman in 2 Kings chapter 4? The woman who seemed to have everything, but she built a room for the prophet to stay in every time he came to town. What does that mean? This woman actually extended her life. She made room for the presence and the anointing of God to dwell. When her son died, she had somewhere, do you know where she took him? To the prophet's room. She laid him on the prophet's bed. The prophet came and re-resurrected her son. And in that story, that story floors me every time because what if she hadn't built that room? What if before the tragedy had happened, she hadn't built a room? She would have had nowhere to take the corpse of her son. She would have been on her own in her own house but she built a room. I'm so glad that I built rooms. Every morning at 5.30, I'm in the Word of God and I'm not bragging to you. I'm telling you this because I'm so glad I did it. I built a room. And regardless of whether Sam lives or not, I still have somewhere to go. And I still went there and I still go there. That has not changed. Dig wells. Build rooms and dig wells. The scripture tells us all the time, it's all about altars and wells, altars and wells, altars and wells. Build altars of sacrifice and worship and dig wells that will bubble up, that will sustain you. I'm so glad that I've dug wells in the scripture.
Because in those times when I have no words, the scripture bubbled up. I could draw on the water, the living water of the word of God. And I want to tell you, it was not a striving. It was not hard. It just bubbled up. Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. What is bubbling up? You can't fake it in this kind of situation. You can't. And so don't wait for a drought to dig for wells. Dig for them now. And when you spent time building that rapport with God, then precedent takes over in hardship. Precedent matters. Precedent matters. My history within takes authority over my current situation. Do you know what, church? I know God too well to be disappointed with him right now. I know him too well to question his character. How? Because I have a history with him. And he has always been good to me. He's turned every single pain and misfortune around for his glory in my life. He has never left anything unfinished. He's generous and kind beyond measure or my deserving. He proves himself true. He has never, ever been at the mercy of any one of my circumstances. He loves me more than I deserve. He has always made a way through impossible realities. He is the kindest, strongest, most faithful father and king. He is endlessly good, and I know all these things from previous experience, and so I trust him too much to give up. And without trust, friend, you've got nothing. Think about it. Without trust, I'm sorry, you literally have nothing. If you can't trust God, you've got nothing. Faith is based on trust. Isaiah 55, 8-9 says, You know what? Can I just remind you? God's ways are not the same as our ways. God's thoughts are not the same as our thoughts. And so if things are tough right now, for me, it must mean God knows something I don't. If I don't understand, it means there's something else that I'm yet to see, that is yet to come to pass, that I'm yet to understand. I'm not the God of my own life. He is. He's a lot smarter than me. Shock horror. He's a lot smarter than you. And he's good. And he's got you in the palm of his hand. His ways are not our ways. They're higher. 
He knows more. And because I know his character, I can trust him when I don't understand. Precedent matters. You know, I have not for a moment been disappointed, bitter, upset. Well, I have been upset, but I haven't held God in at question or at ransom. But one thing I couldn't reconcile was the suffering. Some of you may have experienced what I experienced, but Sam was a really, really good man, the best of the best of the best. I watched that disease eat him from the inside out. And in the last two weeks, the pain that he went through and what I nursed him through, I couldn't reconcile God. Okay, I understand, or, you know, whatever the theology is, he finished his race early. He is needed in heaven. You know, we have all these different theologies. That's fine, God. That's okay. I, I'm okay with all of that. Why did he have to suffer the way that he suffered? Honestly, terrible. And it just dropped in my spirit. Because I want to tell you, God's not afraid of our questions. And so I just kept taking this to him. And the thing I said to God was, I'm just bringing my broken heart, all the pieces of my broken heart to you and putting them in your hands because that's the safest place for them to be. And it just dropped in my spirit. Why did he have to suffer the way that he suffered, God? I thought you said... I thought you promised. Carolina, everyone suffers. That was just Sam's suffering. Sorry if you came to church to hear a message about the fact that you'll never have a problem in your life. But the truth is, Jesus said it. He said in John 16... I've told you this, and I'm telling you this, so that you'll have peace. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. And so I looked through the scriptures, and I thought about Job. I thought about Ruth. I thought about Jesus himself. I thought about all the heroes that we pin up as examples of courage and I realized they all lost so much and yet they were still right in the middle of God's will. Have you thought about that? Because our generation now thinks, oh my gosh, if I'm suffering, I must be outside the will of God because in God everything's rosy. But these ones lost so much and they were right in the middle of God's will. Jesus said, in this world you will have suffering and trial, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We all suffer. We just suffer differently. And so my challenge to you and my challenge is that we would suffer well. And I can tell you that Samuel Stephen Gunther suffered well. 
He did not skip a beat. He trusted God till his last breath. He never complained. Not once did I hear him talk about himself. He suffered so well. He never complained. And in the hellish nights, when he became lucid in and out of his hallucination, he would look at me and he would say, I'm so sorry that you have to go through this. Not once did he think about himself. Friend, what on earth have you got going on in your life and are you suffering well? Because we'll all go through it. We all just have a different cross to bear. But can we suffer well? And God loves a broken heart that's brought to him. Psalm 51. You don't desire my sacrifice or else I would give it. You don't delight in my burnt offering. But the sacrifices of God are a broken and contrite heart and these things you will not despise. Suffer well. Bring your broken heart to him. Don't run away. Don't blame him. Don't hold him at ransom for what you're going through. Run to him. The God you find there, you can't find anywhere else. Tyvo, where are you? Tyvo, stand up, man of God. Did you even realize, church, that he was quoting a scripture? The anchor of what I want to bring today, Tyvo, you declared. Hebrews 4 verse 5, We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who is empathized has been tempted in every way just as we are and has not sinned. Thank you, my friend, for hearing from God and layering the word that he wants to bring to us. You are a powerful man. I've told you this over and over again. You hear from God. He sympathizes with our suffering. When I go to him with my broken heart, do you know what I hear him whisper? I know. I know. And that's all I need. His chest is big enough for you to pound on. His lap is warm enough for you to put your head in. And when you do, that's his whisper. I know. I went through it too and I overcame. You can too. Suffer well. Did you know you can spiral upwards or downwards and it's your choice? It's literally your choice. It's a choice. 
<laughs> Everyone said to me, Caroline, are you going to take time off? I was all of a sudden very aware of what, it's, what is appropriate for a grieving widow to do. Do you know what I want to say? Blow it with appropriate. Because I tried to take three months off and it lasted three days and they were the worst three days of my whole life. But in those days, I, actually it was Sam's celebration service. The next morning I woke up with COVID. Sorry, I think that was a super spreader event. But we all lived. Um, and I woke up with COVID and spent the next few days doing what a grieving widow is supposed to do. Awful. Awful. And about three days into it, I was like, this is so, this is getting worse. And so I asked myself this question. I talk, you know, I, I try to zoom out and take a bird's eye view and observe myself. It's called emotional intelligence. You should all try it. And I thought to myself, I wonder if this is genuine grief or if I'm now on a spiral. And if I'm on a spiral, I'll be able to just pull myself out of it and correct myself. So, for the next few days, I pulled out a journal and it sat open on the dresser in my room. And every time I had a strong or a positive thought, I wrote it down. And in two days, I was out of it. You can spiral up or down and it's your choice. It's your choice. The Bible says that the path of the righteous winds upward till the noonday sun. That we get brighter and brighter and brighter. We should be spiraling upwards. You have a choice. You can go towards God or the other, and I want to tell you the other is no joke. I felt myself plummeting, and I realized, now I understand why so many people lose it, break, snap. And I want to tell you, you can choose. Is this genuine mourning, or is this now a soulish indulgence? You get to choose. I sat down with myself and asked myself, what do you want your kids to say about you and how you went through this season? Because you can choose what they're going to say about you. You can define your own epitaph, what's written on your tombstone. What's it going to say? You get to choose that. Every day that you wake up, you get to choose what you are remembered for. The heroes of the faith didn't accidentally become that. They chose it every single day. Rain, hail or shine. You can choose. Spiral upwards or downwards. It's your choice. And realize that no matter what you're going through, it's absolutely perfect. I sat down and took a look around and I realized, you know what, I'm sorry, I had the best life. My life beat yours hands down. I had the best husband, 
I have the best kids. I've got the best family and the best community. I'm sorry, you should all be envious of me because I built the best life anyone could ever build, okay? And suddenly, my rock was taken away. But I looked around and I realized and I said it out loud, this is just a different kind of perfect. This is just a different kind of perfect. And so coupled with my positive, strong thoughts, I was writing down all the things I was thankful for. Gratitude. Focus. What is your focus? Reassign your focus. I realized I very quickly, I mean, some of you may not know, Sam was doing all different therapies. I had to make 10 fresh juices a day. He was taking... 30-plus supplements that needed to be coordinated at just the right time of the day. And that's on top of all the other therapies that he was taking from hospitals and doctors. I was literally, I did not, for the last probably six months, sit down for more than 10 minutes. And all of a sudden, I didn't have to do that anymore. When I sat down for 20 minutes, I felt like something was wrong. And the Spirit of God said, all that energy that you poured into that, reallocate it. Reallocate it. It's a different kind of perfect now. Don't just wallow. If you sit there and do nothing, you're going to lose the plot. Reallocate your energy. You have so much to live for. This is a different kind of perfect. We have to live for a cause that's greater than ourselves. Stop for a moment. Just for a moment, stop thinking about yourself. Think about the cause. Because that hasn't changed and that will never change. Don't ask, why has this happened? Ask, what now? Why never has an answer? What now always has an answer. And what now is the cause? A beautiful friend of mine made a plaque that's hanging in my room. Hebrews 12, verse 1 to 2. Therefore also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, our first love, our beginning, our end, our everything, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the pain, endured the suffering, endured the inconvenience, despising the shame and the hurt and the regret, and now has sat down at the right hand of God. We have a cloud of witnesses. I want to tell you, Sam is now part of that cloud. He's watching to see what you and I will do with our lives. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, every sin, and run. Let us run. Stop asking why. Just ask what now.
Do what's in you to do. I've had so many well-meaning people saying, are you sure you should be doing that? It's in me. Sam died on Passover. Easter Sunday, we were here and did baptisms. I got in the pool and baptized a friend. The following Friday, one of my dear friends was delivering her 24-week stillborn baby and I was by her side all day. And none of it was heavy. It was in me to do. I had to do it. I want to tell you, in each of those moments, the veil opened and I saw heaven. If I had done what people deemed appropriate and pulled back, I wouldn't have encountered heaven over and over and over. I want to say, and pardon my French, to hell was appropriate. Just do what's in you to do. Ask what now and do it. Don't hold back. Live for a cause greater than yourself. Get up. Go out and be the hands of, and feet of Jesus. Did you know it's easier to live your, your life 100% than 98%? It's easier to live by conviction 100% of the time than 98% of the time. Because where do you spend the 2%? How do you spend the 2%? And you know what I've noticed in people's lives? 2% becomes 5%. 5% becomes 8. 8 becomes 30. And before you know it, it's compromise, weakness. It's just easier. Just easier. You can give yourself a day off. In fact, that's called a Sabbath. But don't give yourself a day off from the cause from your conviction like to me that's not integrity integrity means I'm the same all the time and in every area of my life and in fact every area of my life integrates every other area and informs every other area of my life it's easier for me to live 100% by conviction than 98% just all the time on Saturday night, the day before Easter Sunday, I said to my kids, well, how do you feel? Do you want to go to church tomorrow? They're like, yes, because that's what we do. There are too many families and too many people now who don't have values, absolute truths that they live by. Have you guys watched Chariots of Fire? Watch it. I watched it for the first time with my boys last uh, Friday night and I remembered, wow, values to live by make you a person worth following, a person just with so much integrity, living by our values, core beliefs, live by non-negotiables, things that you don't compromise on no matter what, no matter what. And do you know what? The answers are always found in the presence of God. 
was a moment early on where I was having a really bad day. Well, not bad day. None of these are bad days, but, you know, just ugly crying a lot. And, um, and I picked up my phone to call my mum. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, when you're going through this, don't isolate yourself. Lean into community. Except as I picked up my phone, the Holy Spirit said to me, you haven't even come to me yet. And so I put down my phone and got on my face on the floor, which I do a lot these days. And instantly, the presence of God was there. Peace. Perspective. Now, my mum's amazing and wise and insightful, but she could not minister to me the way that the Holy Spirit ministers. Peace, perspective, strength, revelation. I don't know how long I spent there, but it wasn't long. And I got up and I didn't need to call her. All his answers, all the answers are found in his presence. And I've learnt that actually he is a father to the fatherless and a defender of the widow. He is all we need, whatever it is that we need. Your tears are intercession. The Bible tells us he bottles every tear. Every tear is a prayer. He doesn't give me strength. He is my strength. He doesn't give strength. He is strength. All our answers are found in him. And finally, I realize in a greater measure that this life, this life is actually the fantasy version. It's not the real deal. Eternity is the real deal. This isn't the real deal. There's an eternal assignment. We're on cause here, but the mission and the purpose you and I live for here is training for the next life. Biblical mourning is filled with hope because we know eternity. We know there's something much bigger. You can be sad and filled with hope. You can be sad and filled with purpose. You can be sad and okay at the same time. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 13 Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who have fallen asleep, who have died, so that you will not grieve like the rest of the world does, who have no hope. The biblical hope, the biblical grieving has hope. And as I was grieving, Holy Spirit said to me, if you really love Sam, you'll be happy for him. Because this here is not the real deal. This is not the real deal. That is. And the enemy loves to distract us and bind us up and say to us, 
your job, your career, your car, your house, your kids. He loves to distract us so that we get so caught up here that we forget. We forget this is just training. There's actually an eternal assignment. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and truly, I have to tell you, I am no longer afraid of death. Death truly has no sting. Do I miss him? Absolutely. Does this suck? Yeah. Would I choose this? No. But it's just training. Sam passed his test. Now I've got to pass mine. And you've got to pass yours. How do I wrestle with unanswered prayer? Trust. 